Greetings and welcome back to Haftarot, the weekly video cast in which we take an in-depth look at that week's Haftarah, understand what the basic message of the Haftarah is, and see how it's related to the parasha for which it is read. This Shabbat is a very special Shabbat. It is Shabbat Shira. And Shabbat Shira is the Shabbat which is festive because we read Shirat Hayam, the beautiful song that B'nai Israel sang after watching the Egyptians defeated at the shores of Yam Suf after successfully crossing on dry land. Um, the Haftarah that we read is another Shira. It is Shirat Dvorah. And when we get to it, we'll talk about the correlation between the story about which that is a song and the story of crossing of Yam Suf, about Shirat, which is Shirat Hayam. But first, I'd like to take a look at the book in Tanakh that this song comes from. It is the first chance we've had over the course of this series to take a look at the book of Shoftim. Now, you may notice that at no point did I call it the book of Judges. That's because Judges is actually not a good translation for the word Shoftim. Uh, the word Shofet really means a leader, and it's related to the word Shevet, the staff, and the person who holds the staff is the person around whom everyone coalesces and groups, and he is the leader. And a shofet can be a leader in a court, but a shofet can also be a military leader. And the interesting thing is, in the book of Shoftim, not one person engages in an act of judgment. Every one of them is a military leader. The one person who you could possibly make the claim engages in acts of uh, adjudication might be Dvorah, but that's probably not what's happening. And if we were Ashkenazim, we would be looking at the story of Dvorah in addition to this Shira, and this PDF would be twice as long, and the, and the Shira would be twice as long. <clears throat> but since we are from Chaleb, and the Haftarah that we read is only the Shira, we don't need to worry about that issue. But the Book of Shoftim has a clear theme. As you can see in this piece, the Book of Shoftim is divided into three parts. The first two and a half chapters are an introduction and an overview of the book of Shoftim. They start with after the death of Yoshua and details all of the cities not conquered by the tribes, all the way to Shevetan that doesn't conquer one dunam of its promised territory near modern-day Tel Aviv. It then goes on to describe the pattern of all of these years, essentially between Yoshua and Shmuel. And during all of these years, we have what we refer to as the Shoftim cycle. And the Shoftim cycle works as follows. The people sin, just as foretold in Sefer Dvarim. They did not destroy or exile the locals. They intermarry with them. They adopt some of their practices. And as a result of that, God sells them. That's the phrase used to a foreign power that comes in and subjugates them. Parenthetically, not the nation, but specific tribes. And the tribes that are typically targeted here are Menashe and Ephraim. And the people are subjugated to this foreign power for a number of years, eight, 18 years or so. And then they cry out and God raises a shofet, which means that somebody from that tribe suddenly becomes a charismatic leader, rallies the troops around him as a guerrilla army. They rebel, they overthrow the oppressor. And everything seems to be fine until that Shofet dies, and then they go back to the beginning of the cycle. And it goes ad infinitum, seemingly, 
Uh, and the last of the Shoftim is somebody very famous, but if you look at his story, is actually the most failed of the Shoftim, somebody we will meet in the late spring, and that is Shimshon. <clears throat> After the story of Shimshon, there are two stories left in Shoftim, which are not about Shoftim. The two stories at the end, chapter 17 and 18, story one, chapter 19 through 21, story two, are stories about horrific things that happened during the period of the Shoftim. They actually happened at the beginning of the period of the Shoftim. But these horrific things highlight the failure of a society without a central authority. The experiment of tribal living, which was the ideal setup after Yoshua conquered the land, was a failure. And there is a theme, as you can see here, that repeats four times in those two stories. That's the phrase that repeats. In those days, there was no king. And as you can see, in the first and the last instance of this phrase, there's another line, it's repeated as the last line in Sefer Shoftim. Everybody's doing what's right in their own eyes. It's anarchy. There's no control. Things are out of control. Terrible things are happening. And as a result of that, the clear anticipation at the end of Sefer Shoftim is we need a king. Enter Sefer Shmuel, the next book, which, of course, takes us to the appointment of a king. And Sefer Shmuel is all about establishing the monarchy, first Shaul, then David. Uh, uh, you might argue that the best argument in favor of a king is Sefer Shoftim. By the way, the best argument against a king is Sefer Malachim, but we'll leave that for some other time. So in Sefer Shoftim, the middle part of it, which is from the middle of chapter 3 through chapter 16, is the stories of the Shoftim. And they start with Otniel ben Kanaz from the tribe of Yehuda, and then Ehud ben Gerah from the tribe of Binyamin, and they seem to be very successful. There's one quick mention of a fellow named Shamgar ben Anat. We don't know what tribe he's from. It's a theory he's from Shevet Shimon. And then we get to the story of Barak and Devorah. And the Kna'anim are controlling the land. And there's a fellow named Sisera, who evidently is a some sort of a Philistine, um, who has become taken over so that the king of Chatzor, the king of Canaan, of these Canaanim, seems to be a puppet king. And this fellow Sisra seems to be really controlling what's going on. And Dvorah summons Barak ben Avinoam, who becomes her partner as a shofet, as it were, and says to him to assemble uh, soldiers from the northern tribes, Naphtali and Zvulun, etc., Sahar and to take them up to the top of the Mount, Mount Tavor, in the middle of Zvulun territory. This will be essentially what we call in football a draw play, which will sucker Sisra and his troops to come after them, because they'll think there's rebellion going on, which there is. And then <clears throat> all of his troops will be able to come in, and Hashem is going to help, and they will win. Now you'll see the connection with Parashat B'Shalach and the story of Kriyat Yamsuf, because as the text tells us, this is not the part that we're going to read in Haftarah. As the text tells us, the chariots came through Nachal Kishon. This evidently happened in the summer when the ravine was dry, the wadi was dry. And Sisra's troops came in, in their chariots, in Nachal Kishon, and then suddenly it started raining. And as a result of that, the chariots got stuck in the mud, the soldiers fled, and Barak brought his soldiers down from Mount Tavor, and they chased them. And they killed them, and they won, and they drove them out. And in the meantime, meantime, Sisera, the general, runs in the opposite direction. He runs north, and he runs to the tent 
of a fellow who has an alliance with the Canaanim. His name is Hever. And he comes to Hever's tent. Hever evidently is not home. But Yael, Hever's wife, not a Jewish woman, invites Sisra in, pretends to be his ally, gives him some milk, gives him a blanket. He falls asleep. And then she takes a tent peg and a, and the, and a uh, hammer and hammers him in the temple. And he's dead. And then Barak comes along and says, let me show you the fellow. And that's the end of Sisra, and we win the war. That's the story of the war. And again, the Ashkenazim read that story also, as well as our Haftarah, which is this. This is already quite long. This is a Haftarah of 31 psukim. Beautiful, beautiful psukim. And it follows typical Shira form. If you think about Shirat Hayam that, we, that we're going to read this week as in the Torah, it starts off with an introduction. That's all the introduction. And then the song details the specific events that happened with Paro's chariots and the Egyptian soldiers getting tossed and buried in sea. And then it goes on to a prayer for the future. This Shira follows the same model. It starts off before and Baruchu Adonai means that they're turning to the people and saying, Baruchu, and they're supposed to answer Baruch Hashem Baruch Lamed, or something of that sort. And all of this piece, Shimu Malachim, Adonai Adom, which is a something of a poetic recollection of Matan Torah, of the mountains melting, and all of that. Finally, in Pasuk Vav, we get a sense that things have been bad in the country since Sisra came. And then uh, finally, in uh, in uh, around Pasuk Yod Bet or Yod Gimel, then we get into actually a description of the war itself. The language here is beautiful; it's poetic. There's one Pasuk I want to point to because it also has a very interesting structural piece to it. Um, uh, by the way, something that is typical of Shira is unusual forms. Uh, unusual words, sometimes Aramaisms or archaic words are used uh, throughout. One of the things that happens in this Shira is that Dvorah goes through a list of all of the Shvatim, of all of the tribes, and blesses those who came to help and also uh, curses those who refused to help. And, uh, and so there's some sort of a divide there of tribes who were sitting there working for the Kananim, like Dan and Asher, and those tribes who were, um, who were uh, um, uh, sitting back and watching as they were uh, resting in the pastures on the other side of the Ardain and didn't uh, lift a hand, as opposed to Naphtali and Zvulun and the other tribes that actually got into the war and helped out. Um, the pasuk I want to point out to you is pasuk Chafdalit. I use this pasuk in teaching often to teach a particular structure. You see the phrase, Tivorach minashim yael, eshet chevrakeni, minashim ba'ohel tivorach. That the most blessed woman in, woman in all of the tents is yael, the wife of chevrakeni. Now, notice how it's structured. It starts with the word tivorach and it ends with the word tivorach. Then you have minashim and minashim ba'ohel. So in other words, it starts with the word tevorach, we'll call that A, and ends with tevorach, we'll call that A. It then says minashim, we'll call that B, and minashim ba'ohel, we'll call that B. And in the middle, we have ya'el eshet chevrakeni, her identity. 
This is a structure we refer to as a chiasmus. It's named after the Greek letter chi, which looks like an X, and essentially is ABBA. In this case, it's ABXBA. A is Tvarach, Minashim is B, Yael Eshet Chevrakini is X, Minashim Ba'ohel B, and Tvarach A. And the purpose of a chiastic structure, besides its literary elegance, is to highlight the middle, in this case, the X. And this is Yael's starring moment in a shirah that is in the single most popular book in history, the Bible. In Shirat Devorah, Yael plays the central part and is praised in a unique fashion. She is the most praiseworthy of all women in the tent. There are many midrashim about who she's being compared to and contrasted with, whether it's Sarah or all the Imahot. But in any case, this, hi- this highlights the, uh, the praise of Yael, this non-Jewish woman who came to our help. Uh, and in the Shirah, by the way, she does far more than she did in the story, where she seems to seduce Sisra, and as a result, he gets tired, and that's how she takes care of him. Uh, one last point is you take a look at the end of the story, and we have a picture here, which is a part of Shirat, an imaginary picture of Sisra's mother waiting by the window, expecting him to come home and worried that he isn't, hasn't come home for a while. Why is he late coming back? She's worried. And the reality is because he's dead. But her maids in waiting all comfort her and tell her, no, he's busy getting loot and divvying up his loot among all of the other people. But the reality that we know is he's been defeated because of Yael. And the Shira ends with the following line, one that we can certainly find a resonant tone in in any generation. Similarly, may all of your enemies be defeated, God, and those who love you are as powerful as the sun coming out in its glory. And the last few words, just as we have in Shirat Hayam, are actually not part of the Shirat, but rather, is a footnote saying, after this point, there were 40 years of quiet before the next problem happens, which is the story of Gidon, and of course, that's something that does not belong to our Torah. So over the course of the last few minutes, we've taken a look at this book of Shoftim, we've taken a look at our Haftarah, compared it with the Shiratayam, which is the highlight of this week's parasha, Shabbat Shirah, and I want to wish everybody a wonderful Shabbat of song and of delight and of giving proper praise to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Shabbat Shalom.